we have a treat for you, our listeners. We're going to talk about how do you turn an initiative into an experience. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adam. Great to be here. You know, I'm going to give a little context as I do for these episodes, and I'll be super quick, right? For those that have been listening, over the last seven months, we went from podcasts, and now we have discovered an emerging market. The emerging market started with David of Spirit Airlines, Beverly PayPal, but since then, we've heard over and over again the consensus, especially from the innovators, which I believe now our audience, the whole innovators of this emerging market. And uh, we talked about reorientation, reorientation of the experience of products and services around humans, employees, associates, depends how you call them, depends on the organization. Now, I use the words consumerization for the human experience, and consumerization is a bit of a rough word, but when you look at its definition, the reorientation of that experience around the individual. And at its essence, and that's what Todd and I have been talking about, at its essence is this idea, how do you take up an initiative, right? How do you take an initiative that really is organizationally focused? Here's what we're looking for now. How do you turn it into an experience, an experience that's about them? So Todd, and I can go on and on as you become passionate about this, but Todd, I feel you've reached a certain level of mastery. When you and I spoke, your ability to articulate shows that you've thought about these concepts and that you've had a tremendously successful career, including Bank of America and Bose. So Todd, let's kick this off with your passion. Thanks, Adam. Uh, yeah, my passion, I've been 30 plus years now in the world of really people, um, whether it's human resources, human capital. Um, and it's funny, uh, not long ago, I found a piece of paper, because in the old days, we used to write down on pieces of paper, Adam. Uh, but 25 years ago, I went through an experience of trying to really think deeply about my purpose. And I wrote down on that piece of paper that my purpose was about helping people reach their full potential. And that's as true today as it was when I wrote that 25 years ago. So my passion, you know, my purpose is around that. My passion is how the function of HR, the function of human capital, of talent, is uniquely poised, I think, to be all about driving performance. Uh, because the passion I have is that if, if you're going to reach your full potential, what we're really saying is you're going to perform at levels that you've never performed at. So for me, every element of a business, including the people part, better be all about performance. Such power comes from clarity. Was that 25 years ago? Yeah, that's, 25 that's, years ago. It was 10 years ago for me that I began to read books on personal growth, cognitive psychology, and so I, I came on to this path much later. But, but we should agree that this isn't an uncommon Some may agree philosophically. Actually, everybody agrees philosophically. Of course, we're human. But the actions, the budgets, the resources, the energy does not support their belief. Would you agree with that? I couldn't agree that more uh, with that more. And four years ago here at Avid Exchange, we fell into a conversation as a leadership team about, huh, I wonder what our bigger purpose at Avid Exchange is. And um, through that dialogue, our CEO, Michael Prager, said some things that it just clicked. And it didn't click for me. It clicked for the leadership team. And we started writing down the following three words. Uh, realizing potential was one of the things we wrote down. Fulfilling dreams and winning big together. And those three elements have since become our purpose statement. 
uh, for Avid Exchange. And, you know, to back up 25 years, having written down, realizing potential was my personal purpose, to now working at an organization where it's the organization's purpose is uh, just amazing. And, and you know, with my journey as a contributor for Bank and then writing the book, I, I've had a lot of leaders who proclaim, right, big words, right? They, they had them on the walls. I've had multiple rooms where I was with senior leadership and we had big walls, the big letters on the walls, and they were pushing. How do you bring it to life? What do you actually do? And, and I think this idea of how do you take a program or initiative and how do you bring it to life, I think you will withstand the scrutiny. But I'd love for you to reflect on you don't you don't just stop with the words. How do you go beyond? Yeah, I think I think the point you're making, Adam, is makes all the difference. And for us, the journey we started probably back in 2019 uh, and and in 2020 was about the difference between having a conversation on the concept of something and experiencing it. And I would say that is the differentiator between new levels of performance and people maybe adopting for a while compliance with an initiative. Um, that, that to me is, is night and day. And, and one of the things I've learned is, and, and perhaps your, your listeners can, can go do this uh, immediately, and that is listen to your organization and listen to the conversation that's occurring in the organization. We all sit through meetings uh, all day long. And uh, I began really listening to the conversations. And the conversations tend to mostly be uh, up here in your mind. They're, they're concepts. I'm sharing opinions. I'm sharing uh, you know, my point of view. But the experience conversation is one of action. And it's not about concepts, it's, hey, here's my perspective. I have experienced X, Y, Z. I'm really curious, what is your experience of that? Uh, let's say the topic is retention, retention of top talent. Here's my experience, but what's yours? And here's my request that based on this conversation, would you be willing, Adam, to go take the following action by Friday? That is a conversation of experience and action, which is different than the conversations that typically can occur in an organization. And there's probably a comfort level with participation, almost like a checkbox. Checkbox. We've talked about it, right? And almost, almost a lack of expectation for there to, to be a follow-up in that sense. Um, what, what I love about our, our discussions is that you connected talent and performance, right? And then you introduced a new notion for me that we're going to talk about how to make it actionable. What is for? Well, how did you simplify? Share your simplification. Yeah, so the, uh, the, it really started in around 2020. We started spending time thinking about what drives performance. And the focus of the last several years has been that at the bottom of the pyramid, if you've got a pyramid at the top is performance, then it's really about deep connections. It's really about caring connections and the relationships that you have with others. Um, and that that was a key ingredient to performance. And the thought process is much like, you know, away from work. You know, I, I always find it interesting. We, we call the workplace the workplace as if then I leave the workplace and I go to my family place. And, and the, rea the, the reality is what we've been up to is there is no line there. 
you know, we all have deep, committed, caring relationships with people. And it's in those relationships that we have the highest levels of trust. It's those relationships that are not the easiest. In fact, that's usually, those are the relationships where they can be difficult at times because you have the trust to challenge one another. Um, and, you know, and we've all been there the next day. You have to say, you know, I didn't show up well. I apologize for that conversation. But, but you always end up on the other side at a new level together. And if you can have that as part of your organization, where teammates are deeply connected, and through that is trust, and through trust is challenging, you're now making better, faster decisions, you're executing, you're holding one another accountable. Each time you're getting through to a new level of performance, that, to me, is the first part of the key ingredient. It's the caring connections. I have a lot of personal experiences where once the world went a little more virtual, a lot of a lot of the connections were stressed. Some of the connections were broken because you it went literally all onto Zoom. And if you get on Zoom, what do you do? You focus on here's what needs to be done. I mean, if you like everything else, is um, yeah, I don't think fun Zoom fun, but I'll look at it. But in reality, it's those in-person conversations that build the connections. It's those impromptu. Oh, we're in front of a board anyway. What was the crazy thing you just said? Why don't we just throw it on the board? And then two hours later, that thing is now the thing that we're all talking about, right? That's Virtual right. created new level of challenges for that. That's right. We we often call them collisions. We we uh, I think if if we've learned anything over these last crazy few years, um, it's it's that those collisions are powerful and they're unplanned, they're unstructured. But boy, when you have that side conversation before a meeting starts or after one ends, or you're walking together you know, to the food truck to grab something to eat for lunch, that's, there's a lot of power there. And that's also the basis of the caring relationships. I mean, that's when relationships continue to form. And that's when you bring yourself into the conversations. You're, you're un, you know, unintentional, you're open, you're sharing your hobbies, things you're very passionate about. Here's what's happening family, with your kids, and the more you get to know each other at that level, the deeper the connection is. I, I love the term collisions, and that's really cool. So, so how, I, I assume you guys, no one has figured it out. We're all on, on, on the journey, right? So how do you create more collisions? How, how, how do you initiate them? What, what's the, what have you figured out so far? Now? Yeah, yeah, and uh, we're definitely, one of the things we like to talk about is we're a work in progress. So. We definitely do not get it perfectly right every day. But um, some of what we've learned is, first of all, collisions by definition, you really do need to be in proximity to one another. So we've, um, we've very authentically to who we are, have uh, you know, really uh, embraced hybrid work. But for us, the clarity of hybrid work includes being together Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on most weeks. And so we do have the density from which then to collaborate, to collide, to build relationships. So I think that is a key ingredient. And, and it's not because someone said it, uh, it's because it's just authentic to who we are. I mean, we can't not be avid exchange without this deeply um, intense focus on being together. It's just who we are. And so, so that's a key ingredient. Um, Another is you really have to understand who you are 
you know, to be authentic, to lean into a relationship, there's a certain vulnerability, right, that has to happen there. And so we openly talk about these things and engage and experience them together the moment you start with Avid Exchange so that people are just used to this is how we show up. I mean, we do spend time uh, talking about what we did over the weekend, and we don't do it because it's the checkbox and now we really get to the real topic. Um, we, we just share. And, and like I said, it's not a workplace or a family place. It's just life. And we just uh, do our best to, be, to show up real every day. Tom, could you illustrate maybe examples? Either how do you, when you're onboarding someone, how do you share with them that this is the way, this is the approach, or perhaps is this how you start every meeting, at these first meetings or Mondays? I'd, I'd love to hear some just practices. Yeah. So the bit, best part you can do is role model it, right? And so that brings us back to experience. If, if all of this is, are things we talk about, but yet as a new teammate, I don't ever see it, then, then right away you've got a problem with being authentic, right? And, and that brings us back to the earlier comments about you can have stuff on the wall that says who you are, but if that's not who you are, <laughs> then it's not gonna get you anywhere. In fact, it probably creates more problems. Um, but what we do is from the moment you come in, even, even to our buildings, the front desk, every day I get people that tell me, man, I can't believe they expected to see me and they called me by my name and they took me where I needed to go. I mean, it's that kind of experience built in uh, all the way to the fact that we have uh, apps where teammates are expected to connect weekly with their leader and we track it through an app both for tracking that it happened, but better for the quality of the conversation. And teammates just learn from day one that that's something they use to track a one-on-one -on -one conversation that's gonna happen every single week. And it's a chance for the teammate to enter the items they wanna talk about, the manager can enter the same things. Uh, it's things like that where we can use technology just to help enable the experience that we're creating for teammates. Um, so those are a few examples. Those are excellent, especially, and we know that the role of the manager in the employee experience, social experience, I use the word interchangeably because in some cases some say they prefer as employees, almost so it's not humans, I've heard all kinds yeah. of references. Uh, but it's super important in the experience. The variance, I think, is 70 or 80 percent. And what you've just done, you talked about, is you created a process, the operational and connection to ensure it's happening, but not, you didn't stop there. But that's the key piece. You didn't just put a checkbox and said, did you meet? Yes, no, done, well done, it's happened. Todd, can you double click? Like, well, what is it that you're tracking within that connection that's being made weekly? How do you know the, not the quantity at this point, but the quality is where you'd like to be? Yeah, that, it, it, what we tend to do is try to triangulate data. So uh, in the example of the one-on-one -on -one meetings, Obviously, it can track to the extent I described a meeting took place and that there were items discussed, but it doesn't really tell you about quality. So the other thing we do is a, a monthly engagement survey um, that's you know five questions, nice and short. But within that, we track the quality of the conversations. And we also track the depth of the relationship. And so you can start to triangulate. You know, I can, I can look at, we also measure a lot our KPIs, things like turnover. So if I've got an area where I see higher turnover than usual, usually I can also triangulate 
engagement scores that seem to be dipping. I can see one-on-one -on -one meetings aren't happen happening consistently. And I can start, you know, theorizing on, on what it could be going on and dive in deeper into it. Very cool. In fact, that, that's where I wanted to go next. I just talked about the connection between, you know, quality looking at business objectives, right? That, that how do you move from that into an initiative? How do you move from that into an experience? And then the data that's now supporting that the experience was successful, that the initiative was successful, that is moving the needle on business outcomes. So maybe if you could illustrate a few, whether you want to focus on turnover, I think that's a great one, but maybe there are others as well. I think for the audience, really critical to see that full line of sight from what we're looking to accomplish at the position level to the PSGR side of measuring it and what's achieved. Yeah, great question. Um, actually, if I start at the very top and zoom out just really briefly, the way I think that uh, HR organizations can think about their initiatives um, is much like a product organization, a product management organization. I find a lot of clarity when we think like the business because we are a part of the business. So when I think about, well, first of all, from an HR standpoint, who are the customers? That's, that's one of the basic first questions you, you have to get real good clarity on. And for me, I've always believed it to be both candidates who are thinking about making a buy decision uh, to buy your product. And secondly, it's existing teammates who actually make a repurchase decision every single day to continue to buy your product. So if those are your customers, then the question is, well, what's that product? And I believe it to be the teammate experience. Now you can also extrapolate that to, to say culture, but, but teammates and candidates want an experience. So the question is, is are you close enough to your customers to understand what in fact they are buying and what are the features of the product that they value most? Um, so that you can be sure that you're aligning your product to your customers. And so that gets us to the, how do you know you're aligned to the business objectives, right? Because you've got to understand those features. Um, but you're right, we can, we can pick one like retention. Um, when we began that journey, you know, uh, pre-COVID even was a pretty hot job market already. And then of course we saw that just continue through a lot of COVID. Um, but what we started to double click on was uh, following it like a marketing organization. Um, we did persona work. So we, we differentiated our three core types of hires that we typically have as well as existing teammates. And what are their personas? What do they value most? And what do they look uh, for and features to buy? And with that, uh, we were able to extrapolate out then what are those features? And so we know for, for instance, our technology teammates greatly value the opportunity to work in the latest technology. So we use that not only when we are seeking to hire, but retention of teammates. Are we, in fact, bringing in uh, teammates who get a chance to work with lots of different technology uh, versus what we found a few years ago is we were tending to put people in a certain spot and keep them there? And so that's a good example where you, you start to really get in touch with what exactly teammates therefore uh, desire the most in terms of the features of your product. In this case, it was learning new things. Um, and that's just a small example of how retention then starts to show up in a fresh way and what the talent team or the HR organization can do about that to help drive the business's objective to 
to, to make great products for the customers. Thinking about the employee experience as a product, and when I hear that topic, I get goosebumps, right? Because when we think about this emerging market, I've been like challenging myself to go through quotes, quotes of how, when, you know, we evolve the customer experience as, as technology. How do you take that now and reframe it in front of So I've been having fun with this. I'm going to have a series of shorts and segments coming out. Well, I'm going to do one right now real quick to show to illustrate, and I think it's kind of about the reaction. So this is what Steve Jobs said. He said, get closer than ever to your customer. So close, in fact, that you tell them what they need well before they realize it themselves. Right? I'm going to do that same quote, but I'm going to replace one word. Get closer than ever to your employees. So close, in fact, that you tell them what they need well before they realize it themselves. Absolutely. Are you and I on the same page? Completely aligned, absolutely. And, and they'll tell you, and they may not even know they're telling you, right? And then I think that's what you're drawing out. I mean, if, and you have to, there's an element of listening here. And listening is a lot more than just hearing, right? So uh, it's a great quote. It applies 100% to teammates. And there has to be this reckoning or bringing together of the listening in a fresh way um, to either things that people are telling you very overtly or, or perhaps even just they don't even realize that they're expressing it. Todd, I'm going to help ask for your help in the heated debate I had last night. It was over, over a uh, fire pit for a couple hours. I won't say the person, but I'll send this specific moment to them. And you can help solve this for us. As we think about consumerization of the employee experience, those are my words. I know not yours. You talked about it as a product, thinking in terms of product. There are many ways how to think about the similarities between customer experience and employee experience. That's at the end of this discussion. Here's a debate. Who would lead the way, right, in terms of the message, the data, the UI, UX? Because what it takes to think about it as a product is the skills, resources, technologies. This is, this is something that has evolved tremendously over the last 15 years, maybe 20 years. And it has led to amazing expertise. That expertise sits currently at the organization in the CMO, typically. We're now saying, let's take all of that and focus it to a new audience. So what I'm seeing is one of two things happening. These are two possibilities. Maybe there's a third. Maybe, maybe suggest this is the, what so far the two schools have thought. First, the CMO saying, why don't I get involved in certain aspects of the HR world? Right? The second, the CMO and the CHR get together and the CMO says, why don't I be an enabler? partner, let me share with you what I know what you are building, whether it's the chief people officer, the CHRO, you're building your own capabilities that are very similar to the capabilities that we have for the external audiences. Now, I'm not even saying which side I'm on, so I think that was about five. What do you think? Yeah, I think the, the partnership uh, is more necessary than ever. Um, I mean, I just think about here at Avid Exchange, uh, the work the marketing organization and my team do together on, first of all, the alignment of communications internal with external, and the alignment of the employer brand with the company brand is quite extensive. And then you add in their social media, 
So, so that's some of the more obvious things. And then you start to uh, bring it down to the levels I was discussing earlier around personas and how we think about leveraging those. That all came about through a close partnership with our CMO and the marketing organiza organization. So I don't know that it's a, it's definitely not a one or the other, it's, but it is a new partnership that has many, many reasons for tighter alignment um, than ever before, uh, uh, I believe. And uh, it, it kind of naturally began to evolve for us and it just gets strengthened. And, and, and as I hear myself say that, I'm actually saying to myself right now, I don't know that I ever listened to the need. I, 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 I would not have identified the partnership between marketing and, and the people leader for what it really is, say, eight to 10 years ago. So, so I totally agree, and, uh, and, and they're just, they're vital in the work that we do internal to the organization. And, and I think this is re reinforces a lot of what the, the old innovators are discussing, the debates we're having of how to approach it. Uh, but Todd, let, let, let's go further. What happens as we mature this capability to think like a product and consumer identical experience? Uh, there are a couple of dimensions I'd love your perspective on. There's one dimension. When we think about the employee experience, oh, it's fast. It's everything, right? So we need to prioritize. You, we've already addressed one element of it, which is the relationship with the management. You talked about the team. But also, are you thinking about it in the life cycle? Like, here's the employee experience we're onboarding. Here's how you consumerize the product, think like a product. Here's the performance management. Here's the learning and development. Our internal events, internal communications. Do you look at them in individual uh, buckets and are you prioritizing? Again, I'm just looking for structure to think about because we just opened up an entirely new world in many ways in emerging markets. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, two things come to mind. First is to reinforce what you said. I think about the initiatives that we uh, bring to the organization. I think about that as a portfolio of my product teammate experience and so I have to ongoingly prioritize my portfolio and I think what HR professionals need to be sensitive to is just like just like our businesses customers have lots of needs but that doesn't mean we're gonna go just attack all of them right uh, it's our job to, to, to prioritize determine what's the sweet spot so I think that's an incredibly I mean that's a business skill number one but it's an important differentiator as well um, and then you need a process to to be agile because just like our customers externally these these needs and wants change very very rapidly and so the ability to be agile and to know at any given time what your portfolio needs to look like is is essential and then the final ingredient I think is some of what you were saying and that is it you, it has to show up in the the essence of the organization. And so what I mean by that is all of your processes, which is very much like a life cycle, you know, the way we bring people into the org, the way we work to get them quickly up to speed so they can perform right away, and then the way we reinforce their uh, performance through recognition and pay. Now we start to grow them and, and get them at another level of performance. I mean, that whole that, that are, that's a series of processes that have to exude the teammate experience you're creating. Otherwise, it just it won't exist. It'll be on the wall, and it won't live in the halls of you know, your office. Exactly. And I, I love thinking about it as a portfolio. 
Completely agree. That's right. It's a series of trade-offs, right? Uh, and affordability, and you know what what you're about as an organization. And, and when we think about sustainability of the, of the initiatives, you and I briefly talked about. So perhaps let, let's pick one. Let, let's pick one of the products that you that you see as most important, so that then we can kind of layer in what a sustainability sustainability look like. If you don't mind, let's pick one. Whether yep. it's leadership development. Culture or yeah. yeah, we could pick uh, performance management, how we, how we assess our talent. Mm -hmm. And then in that, to me, when, when, as I think from a marketing perspective, how does it show up in the message eventually? You're asking for something, whether you're listening, collecting information, or you're asking for action. More and more, I hear sustainability being connected to very small bits of tasks A lot of it starts with the messaging and the conversations that occur in the organization. So we, uh, we often, there, there are a core set of things we often talk about uh, just routinely. Things like we keep score at Avid Exchange. There is a scoreboard and it's right above in the ceiling and, and it'll tell you what the score of the game is. And we use that to even bring it down to a performance level. So each individual we, we want teammates who love to play the game of business and are, uh, they enjoy keeping score for themselves, for the organization. So uh, it, it has to come out in just how you talk about yourself, um, I think, uh, as, as a start. And then it has to find its way into the process. So we have three mindsets at Avid Exchange that helps to crystallize the, the, uh, the way we view the world, the, the way we view the world, which is through our mindsets, are like glasses. The way we view the world really shapes um, how, we, how we behave, and how we behave shapes our impact. And our impact is all about performance. So we tie our mindsets to performance, and then we talk about specifically nine behaviors across those three mindsets. So then we talk about how do you measure those behaviors. And so that all finds its way to how we then on a quarterly basis, we do sit-down performance reviews. There are check-ins, and then at the end of the year, you know that fourth check-in just happens to get a little, you know, we put a little bit more in writing on it. But it sh the point is, it should never be. Uh, it, it needs to be intertwined in the daily activities and conversations of the organization. Um, it can't be separate, and and oftentimes, sometimes these things feel like independent initiatives that are not connected to the fabric of the organization. And, and that's where I think um, oftentimes the outcome that you desire in some of these initiatives don't, doesn't come to fruition because they don't show up that way, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, let's apply kind of a future lens if we could. And we'll look at those two data points, nine behaviors, 
right, would at some point be communicated, inspired, educated. So there's a moment whether someone's starting with organization, um, or perhaps it's a moment when there's a refresh, there's a let's discuss it, right, from a launch perspective. And then there's the moment where you measure about the scoreboard, the teammates, about the, the, the game of business that's lost. Now, in between those two, the idea is that these nine behaviors bleed throughout. This is how we act. This is how we live. This is the essence of the culture of organization. Now, is there a process in the future state that you see of how do you reinforce? How do you maybe nudge? Or how do you how do you palpitate? Because we're all so busy, so busy. We we, we love that moment with those nine behaviors, thinking absolutely, I'm I'm fully on board. And then we got the phone started the emails and the tasks and so on and so forth. Life happens. That's right. What what can we do, current future state, to help individuals be one of the, uh, and again, we said uh, we're, we're not perfect. So one of the things I'm thinking about actually uh, here more recently uh, is is ways to crowdsource the the feedback on an ongoing basis. So there are apps out there that uh, I'm sure you've seen. I've been exploring where teammates can actually crowdsource feedback on one another's performance, on their manager. I, I think over time, the, uh, the, the, the ongoing feedback mechanisms are going to uh, take shape more in organizations like they do outside of organizations, whether it's apps that are crowdsourcing feedback on restaurants and all those things. So um, I think that's an area that potentially would get to what you're saying, which would help to make this an ongoing feedback loop. Um, but but it's, uh, so, so I don't profess to have that figured out yet other than to say we spend a lot of time making sure that we focus on just a few things, that those things are core to our conversations each day and the experience of them. Um, otherwise, you can get yourself uh, distracted very quickly. Oh, for sure, and it sounds like you built a muscle, an organizational muscle for these behaviors that's well said. Um, what, where I was, where I was poking at, is I keep asking myself, kind of like a marketing lens. If you said, give the marketer one of the behaviors and you said, awareness, reinforcement, how would you do this? How does it almost show up subtly in the world? Whether you're walking through your hallway and there's a TV screen, and as you're walking by, it's a little cue. It's a cue that yeah. oh, of course, right. I'm going into a meeting. Really, that's the time where I was kind of poking at, at a future state. Um, that's right. Leadership. Just turning our attention a bit on, on the leadership development side. When you look at these nine behaviors, when you look at the people on the shifts, how do you how do you approach it? Do you do you have a, a is there a specific swim lane or program that you've created? Just want to talk about the implications because earlier we said that manager is a key aspect of the employee experience. Um, what's your path from a yeah, we made a, an important shift back three to four years ago from thinking about it as leadership development, which was really more about kind of what's the management 101, what are the, what are the things you need to know to be a good leader. We shifted to what we call the Avid Exchange Leadership Experience, or AXEL. And once again, you're hearing the word experience. And that really is much more about EQ. It's much more about the inward journey that leaders 
um, need to, need to be able to to be comfortable uh, taking, um, and it really uh, helped differentiate us and hel helps get us into that conversation of who am I, who do I need to be to be the best I can be. Number one, I can't be a great leader until I get more in touch with that. Then I can start being a better leader for my teammates who likely may not be thinking about that question either, and I can help them on that. But the reason I can help them is because I've experienced it first, and it comes from a place of my own experience and journey. That's really that shift in how we think about leadership development has, has been phenomenal in getting us traction um, in the things I've been describing. What is that experience like? Yeah, I'll give you a, here's a great example. Um, uh, we talk about this in the Axle, but I used it actually last month. So I had a, uh, a challenge going on within my team several layers down where there were some, there were some relationship issues going on. So here, here's what it means when I say the experience of it. So I pulled together the, the folks involved and said, write down on a piece of paper um, a time where you've been part of a winning team. And if it's non-work, great, make it non-work. And, uh, uh, and we took five minutes of silence and people thought about it. And uh, just as one example, one of the folks said, oh yeah, uh, in high school, I was part of a state championship tennis team. The ability then to talk about that at a, at a personal experience level brought forward, well, tell me about that and you know, I assume you weren't always high performing, so what was it like before you were high performing? And what came out of that was, well, we, we had a lot of underclassmen who were quite good, and then you had a handful of senior classmen on that tennis team, and there was there were friction because the senior upperclassmen were kind of feeling like the younger folks were trying to push their way in faster than normal. And so that team dynamic was exactly, I had no idea the conversation would go this way, but there was some of that going on within the problem I was solving within our own team. And so it, it just allows someone to speak of an experience from a deeply personal level, and there's no convincing because they've lived it already. And they begin to experience and, and surface for others in the room all of those kinds of things. We weren't always high performing. Okay, well, what did that look like? And how did you become high performing? And, and so when I say experience, that's what I mean, versus we could have talked about the characteristics of high-performing teams, you know? Or we could have looked at, you know, some, some uh, uh, you know, three circles or a pyramid because everything has to be in that format. And oh. we, could talk, we could talk for hours about the concept of it, but it's the experience of our lives that makes it comes re come to life. And, and that's, what, that's what I'm trying to express, both in our leadership development, but how we lead every day. Extraordinary example of a leader who is really a coach. The guy, because what you did there is you supported being a leader, which is, which is requires patience. You, you didn't come in with answers. You didn't know what that was going to be. Right? Yeah. It's, that, that's, that's, that's fascinating. And then you also led by example to those that are listening to that are not looking to or asking Trying the clinical methodology and framework overload uh, is not the way more circles and pyramids are not going to do it for us. 
That's right. Very inspiring, Doug. Well, one of the things I was going to circle back to is um, uh, we were talking about performance, and there's a mathematical equation that we're focused on here because we talked about the importance of connection and care. You know, deep relationship creates trust, creates better accountability with one another. So I call that care plus candor equals performance. And so the, the newer part of our journey that I wanted to kind of put into the discussion is the candor part. And what I'm finding is if, if all you have is the care and deep connection, but yet you're not all in for a teammate's performance to the extent that you're willing to, to have difficult conversations when they need to be had, then you're really not caring for that teammate. And of course, if, if you're not really in touch with that teammate and yes you're in yet you're providing candor every day well now you're probably coming across as a jerk <laughs> because you really don't even know that teammate but boy you're quick to give a whole lot of candor and feedback so to me the the balancing act we all need to play each day to help people realize their fullest potential or performance is care plus can, uh, candor equals performance and I'm fascinated on that part of the journey, and that's really where we're intensely focused this year as an organization, is making sure both those things are there. Candor is super difficult, super challenging, because uh, I'm on both sides. And if it's not coming from the right place, how much damage that That's the key. That's the key, is where is it coming from? And so if you have a trusting relationship, then both parties know where it's coming from, right? It's when we don't have that trusting relationship that you begin to wonder the true intent. Um, but I also find the other piece to this is we get in our own way. So as leaders, we can say, well, I'm not gonna provide the clarity of the feedback I need to to Adam today because I feel like that's gonna hurt our relationship. The reality is there would be nothing more subversive to that relationship than not to say something, you know, in this example to you, Adam. And so what we're doing is putting ourselves in the middle. That's not about Adam in that example. That's actually about me. And mm. I, don't, I don't want to, you know, run the risk of you not liking me by me saying what I'm going to say. So I think we get in our own way a lot as leaders which is why simplicity is just so important uh, in the equation. Todd, thank you. Thank you for being on. Thank you for your time and for your brilliance. And I, and I hope to continue the relationship as we progress in this journey. Over now.